Welcome to the Miles Pike Podcast, a podcast that strives to foster excellence in gospel music, both on the stage and in the local church, through conversations. I'm your host, Miles Pike. I'm hoping to probe into the lives and minds of gospel artists, industry legends, and some frontline people on the worship scene. Guests include fellow artists, pastors, session players, producers, songwriters, comedians, radio personalities, and theologians. Subscribe to not miss an episode. Share on social media with the musicians, pastors, and music ministers in your life. And please rate and comment to help take us all the way to being able to say that dozens and dozens are listening. Thank you for taking time to join in on the conversation. Now on to the program. Friends are sometimes made over the course of days, some years, but in the case of Brian Rhodes, it was a matter of minutes. For his young, robust age, we're days apart, he has accomplished much in his studies and is a treasure trove to talk with. He has studied at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and received his Master of Theology at the University at Edinburgh. And I don't mean Edinburgh, Indiana. He is currently pastoring in Alexandria, Louisiana at Grace Presbyterian Church and School. Look in the show notes to see where you can check out his sermons online. And now, buckle up for this fun and insightful conversation. We are on the line with a good friend of mine, Pastor Brian Rhodes. He's my token Presbyterian friend from Louisiana. (laughs) I'm keeping him away from the babies. But, uh, <laughs> but, That's but he's, uh, he's a great guy, and uh, we uh, have wanted to, uh, to have a variety of, of opinions and interviews on this podcast, and so uh, Brian was one of my top people I wanted to give a call to. But uh, why don't you just tell us real quick uh, where you're at and how we met and all that kind of stuff, let the folks know uh, why you're on the line with us. Surely. Uh, well, we met through, let's see, I mean, mutual friends, uh, um, John and, and Margie, and um, they just, uh, uh, she, uh, Margie spoke so highly of you and, and kind of pleaded with me, you've got to let him, you've got to let him come and uh, 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 do music here. He's great. He's great. And so, um, you know, and so that's, that was all I needed. Um, trust her. And uh, she's uh she's got very good very good taste musically and, and our church has a um uh a history among some of of loving kind of the old uh southern gospel and so um i'm glad so it, you it i'm glad you mentioned that about well. margie i still owe her that 20 bucks so oh yeah man she talked you up uh i would have would have thought we had like um you know um one of those one of those high roller guys come in. I thought for sure we wouldn't be able to afford you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but we were we were treated we were treated to a wonderful concert uh, that that proved to be a, a very good decision. So appreciate that. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm the most mm-hmm. famous person you've never heard of. So that's um, <laughs> now where where are you pastoring and how did you end up in that position? I am the pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and the way that I got here, it's um, it's a bit weird. But um, but I was um, the the story kind of goes back to 
Oh my goodness. I guess it was somewhere around 2011, 2012, uh, when I was in a PhD program at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland that was not going particularly well. Uh, my supervisor had uh, gotten a job offer from the University of Oxford and he took it. I mean, wouldn't you? Um, but, oh, yeah. but when he. Uh, you think I would, but I've turned him down so many times. <laughs> well, you know, better things coming. Uh, but, you know, and so that kind of. Uh, uh, that, in addition to some other things that happened, just um, just kind of put my research on on uh, on the rocks and kind of without uh, definite direction. And so, uh, I'm originally from Alexandria. I was was born here, and so I um, while I was in town for the Christmas holidays, I was uh, with my family here. I thought, you know, if if this whole PhD thing doesn't work. I am going to try probably to pursue ministry. I'm, I'm just not sure what else. I mean, that, and that was where, that was something I had been, uh, according to my family, it's something I had been avoiding for years. Um, and so I thought, well, I, while, I'm, while I'm here, I'm going to try to use my time well, and uh, I'm going to uh, chat with a, with a Presbyterian minister and ask him what it's like to do ministry, uh, you know, here in Louisiana, where I'm from. And so I met with the pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church, and uh, at the conclusion of our lunch together, he offered me a job uh, to teach at uh, at their Christian high school. Um, and so I um, I withdrew from my PhD program, came and taught here at the high school, and then while I was here at the church and working at the school, I started the process of ordination. And when it came time for that pastor's uh, retirement, um, there was an interim as well. But um, but I the the church wanted me to stay and and to uh, to take up the work of pastoral ministry here. So I did. Great. I um, I remember Brian was one of those rare uh, meetings where you know you after just talking on the phone a few times and and you go and have lunch, you feel like you've known him forever and. We actually just mm -hmm. met back in uh, February a few months ago, and have, that's right. Uh, and we just kept up ever since. So thank you, John and Marjorie. Marjorie, now we have yes. uh, th three uh, Presbyterian friends in Louisiana. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, okay, you mentioned seminary Scotland. That's just kind of intriguing. Um, what, what's the history of that seminary, and and how long were you over there? Well, uh, I mean, I, I was there for about two years. The history of the University of Edinburgh, I think, I want to say 1536 is when it was founded. Um, I could be wrong oh, about that. Oh, so it's one 15 of those young Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you know you're yeah, not in you America. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When the university you go to is older than your home country, your homeland. Yes. Um, I remember hearing, a, just quickly, I remember uh, hearing a, a, a story from a friend of mine when I was in Edinburgh. He was, he was a minister, uh, a Presbyterian minister in Edinburgh, and told me that he had been to the States, that he had visited Austin, Texas, mm. and that while he was in Austin, they were walking by this historical plaque, placard, <laughs> he and his wife, and it said, the oldest house in Austin, and it was built in like 1804, mm -hmm. and he loudly announced to everyone around him, my house is older than that. <laughs> I, I believe it. We were um, we were over in England and Sweden touring and, and doing some concerts over there. And and one of the last concerts we did was actually in a, a church that worshipped in this uh, school auditorium. <laughs> there on, on the building, it said, you know, built in 18, 
you know, 30 something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why did they put a mm -hmm. plaque on that? I mean, that's nothing over here. <laughs> but that's, um, that's, that's, uh, I was, I was there pursuing a PhD in, um, kind of an intersection in, uh, Luther studies and, uh, and counseling. Um, so I, I wanted to, my original plan was I wanted to take Martin Luther's theology of suffering and uh, what I would call spiritual depression. Luther called it anfectum, um, but a kind of spiritual depression. And I wanted to synthesize a pastoral counseling methodology uh, based on Luther's uh, insights and, and experiences. Um, since then, I will have you know, the book has been written. Somebody else has picked up that topic and published it. So I'm just glad that the church has it. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Well, you know, I, I tell you what, you write your book and I'll, I'll buy it. So, we'll, we'll <laughs> Thanks, <do it>. man. <laughs> um, yeah, ger the German language is, uh, is a great medium to uh, facilitate anger and depression. It's, it's really quite a, uh, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an earful and a mouthful. Yes. But yes. Um, I, I just like asking this of, uh, of pastor friends of mine, and this may or may sure. not make it into the podcast, but how long do you spend on an average sermon? How long in preparation, and how does that break down in, as far as prayer, research, and, and yeah. all that? Yeah. My goal is always 20 hours, um, and that, I think, is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. um, now... There have been plenty of times in in life and ministry. I mean, I've I've preached five hour preps. I've preached ten hour preps. I've preached uh, one or two hour preps. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so you know, the, there are different circumstances. I mean, I don't, and I've just become. I'm, I'm, you know, I suppose I'm young and naive enough to just be very honest about this. Um, I don't think any pastor will will deny that he's he's walked this road too, but. Uh, yes, I've written the sermon that starts that like I start writing it at 3 a.m. on Sunday morning. Yeah, I've I've written those sermons. Um, but the real know, question and... is, was anyone saved? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, by the word and grace of Jesus, they keep on being saved. I know it. I know uh, it. <laughs> just a very human question you know but mm -hmm. uh, now, now mm -hmm. you said you're with the evangelical presbyterian church now when we first met yeah. i knew a little bit about presbyterian certainly yeah, sure. more than i knew growing up but uh when you say presbyterian it's kind of like saying baptist it's just like what in the world do you mean because sure there's so sure. many in the spectrum uh absolutely what what, what is that what does epc mean so the epc was uh um when it when it started, and I believe that was in the uh, in the seventies, um, it was it was a break away from the mainline PCUSA, mm -hmm. and so that's the oldest Presbyterian denomination in the country. The PCUSA is, and they have long since left. They've long since departed from fidelity to the Scriptures, or fidelity to the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms, which is what we as a church confess to be what we believe the Bible teaches. Um, and so, um, and so the EPC broke away from, from that, uh, denomination, uh, it, it being pretty clear the, the unbiblical and worldly direction that they were moving, um, with regard to all sorts of matters, with regard to, uh, the, the clarity and, uh, and, uh, inspiration of scripture with regard to, um, social issues, moral issues, ethical issues, um, 
uh, everything from human sexuality to uh, to to divorce and remarriage and things like that. Um, and and so um, so the EPC was founded. I would say calling calling themselves the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, recognizing that they were aiming for a kind of a uh, kind of uh, diversity within the bounds of our confession of faith. Um, so whereas um, uh, they're, they're definitely a, you know, firmly committed Bible believing um, denomination. Um, and, um, but they have chosen to, uh, to permit in some cases, things like uh, ordination of women. They also take the EPC takes a softer stance than Presbyterians have historically on, um, on spiritual uh, apostolic gifts, like speaking in tongues and uh, charismatic gifts and things like that. The, the EPC has taken both of those contentious issues, charismatic gifts and ordination of women, um, and, um, and, and left them up to the consciences of, of regional bodies um, called a presbytery. That is, every, every church is, is part of a regional presbytery. Mm -hmm. um, and regional presbyteries can determine whether or not they're going to ordain women and whether or not, um, and, and then uh, charismatic gifts. Um, and so, so historically, um, and presently, conservative Bible-believing Presbyterians take very strong, definite stances on both those issues. And if your listeners are curious, I do too. Um, I, I, um, I, don't, I don't believe in the ordination of women. I don't believe it's biblical. And I, um, I tend to be on a, on a more um, historically Presbyterian side of the charismatic gift thing. That is, I, I, tend to, I tend to approach a lot of the modern charismatic movement with a certain degree of skepticism, but not total dismissal. Um, and so I'm, I'm a bit more conservative than my own denomination, I would say, but I'm quite happy to be in that denomination uh, because they've managed to cultivate a kind of trust of one another that's, uh, that's really one, like it's, it saves us a lot. It saves your denomination a lot of time when there's trust established and everybody's not suspicious of everybody else, um, which I won't go into all of what that means, but that's, that's uh, you know, I feel like I've already given you quite probably more than you asked for. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, you, you gave me some stuff that I didn't know, even though we kind of talked about it a little bit before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel, you know, if you ever find a perfect denomination, let me know and I'll join it, but same. Th then I'll, then I'll blow it, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then you'll blow it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to move into the more meatier part of the interview, but you know, generally, how would the reformers define worship if they had to distill it down? If the reformers had to distill it down, and and there is there's going to be disagreements among reformers. How how Luther may have approached worship, how Calvin may have approached worship, would be different from how Ulrich mm -hmm. Zwingli, for instance, might have approached some aspects of worship. But but if I'm if I could go general and broad. Mm -hmm. I would start with the word service, right? So the word the word service is familiar to us. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the worship service, and and that's that's really, um, it's really Protestant terminology. So if you're if you or your listeners are familiar with say Roman Catholicism, it's not a worship service. It's it's the mass, and you go to mass. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this this terminology of a worship service comes out of the Reformation, and specifically that means. The worship service, that would be a fun theological question to see how people answer. <laughs> Why do we call it a service? The answer is not because we're going to serve God with our worship. Um, as, as true as that may be, that may be a form of serving God, but that's not why we call it a service. We call it a service 
because we believe that in the gathered worship of God's people, he comes and serves us. Oh. Now, wow. okay. yeah, yeah. That, and that might sound odd at first, and because we don't mean that in the sense that God is a servant, but rather Jesus, you know, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so our Lord continues to meet and serve sinners with what they need most, namely his words and his sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And that, for the Reformers, is what worship is about. It's about, it's about us coming with, with you know, nothing but our need and God answering that need with his words, with his baptism, and with his body and blood in the supper. And so that, that's how the Reformers, broadly speaking, would understand worship, that worship is where God's people receive God's gifts. So like at the Last Supper, you know, we come and Jesus, you know, serves the bread, serves the wine, washes our feet. That's mm -hmm. the weekly renewal, sanctification, yes. and washing. And, okay, that, yes. that's, that's not the answer I was expecting. So that's, that's very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I try to avoid loaded questions on this program. Uh, but <laughs> what is the line where it stops being a church service and becomes dancing around the golden calf? <laughs> Well, um, golden calf, that's, that's interesting. Um, let me, I'm going to try to use that kind of, like I'm going to use that golden calf picture and try to kind of think that out a bit. So the golden calf did not come about because people didn't like God. In fact, I am with the commentators who say that they named the calf Yahweh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it seems to me pretty clear that they, through some kind of perverted, twisted understanding, still wanted to say they were worshiping Yahweh. Mm -hmm. The golden calf then didn't come about because people didn't want Yahweh. They came, it came about because they were bored and impatient, right? Yeah, they, 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 they got impatient. Something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted to see something and they said, you know, where is Moses? You know, we're, we're still waiting on Moses. He hasn't come back yet. They get bored and impatient with Moses. And then the text says, I don't have it right in front of me, but the text says something like when they, when they went to worship the calf, they all rose up to play. Hmm. Um, that's yeah. actually the verb that's used, that, that, that they rose up to eat and drink and play. And so I would say that false worship or, or man-made worship takes place wherever our end or our goal is different from God's end and God's goal, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so as I just said a moment ago, God's goal in worship is that his people would be served by and satisfied with his word. Okay. And he does that through preaching and singing and prayer and, and sacraments and sacrament of course is, is a, is a niche term. I, by that, I just mean baptism in the Lord's supper. Um, and so Presbyterians historically have taught this thing uh, called the regulative principle that, that we know how to worship God from his word. And so the, the idea is that the gifts of God are for the people of God. So to answer your question, <clears throat> uh, if there's a golden calf moment, I would say it happens when, when our goal becomes about the facilitation and creation of a particular experience. Um, mm. Yeah, which I like to call the impact principle of worship. That is, if it has an impact or if it makes things feel worshipful, then it must be good. Um, and that's how a lot of well-meaning people justify different activities in a worship service. That is, if people are impressed or moved or overwhelmed or excited or transformed, 
then we must have done something good uh, and right uh, and, and, and godly. And if, yeah. that's, if that's your paradigm for worship, then worship mainly becomes about the, the facilitation of and, and delivery of these kinds of experiences. Hmm. Well, your, your answers end up so much better than the questions. I'm going to have to, you know, we're going to have to redo this. Um, but <laughs> uh, since, you know, you know somebody who went to Oxford, I'm assuming you know pretty much everything, but like, <laughs> if you were to walk into an early church service in the catacombs, you know, it's like, yeah. what, if anything, do we know about them? What did, and, and since we're focusing on worship in this podcast and music, I mean, did they sing sure. the Psalms primarily, or who who was their Matt Redmond? You know, who? <laughs> I mean, do we have any of their hymns that far back? Yeah, uh, without question, they would have primarily sung the Psalms. There's really no question about that. Okay. Uh, from everything that we have, kind of historically, they would have sung the Psalms. They would have sung the Psalms without any instruments, and I don't think that's because they were anti-instrument. Uh, it's just hard to get instruments into catacombs or to carry them about when the civil authorities are trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, yeah but but they most certainly would have sung the Psalms. There's, there's no question there. Uh, Psalms would have made up the overwhelming majority of their worship. Um, there also seems to be evidence that uh, they would have sung uh, hymns that were specifically about the person and work of Jesus. So mm -hmm. pro probably most famously the Kenosis passage in Philippians 2 about how Christ emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by taking on a human nature. Yes, that's um, one of my favorite passages. And I, I've, I'd heard somebody say that that was a, a, a new song, that something they turned into a song out of the New yeah. Testament. That just made my day because, you know. Yeah, scholars call it the Carmen Christi, which is in Latin, it means the song of Christ. Um, and it, it seems to have been in him by the, in the early church. Another example would be... Um, First uh, Timothy three sixteen. So there's another. You know, you know John three sixteen. First Timothy three sixteen. Mm -hmm. Let me get it here. Um, well, Colossians three sixteen is about singing oh, yeah. psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yes, and... yes. First Timothy three sixteen. Great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness. And then you have this sort of poetic. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. There. Seems to be evidence that that was a that was a Christological hymn as well. Um, so, so to go back, I think you said something about who was their Matt Redman, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, in a sense, you could say their Matt Redman was King David or or uh, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah, but um, like one thing that made me think of Miles is that, to my knowledge, and I, you know, I I could be wrong. I, I'm not I'm not an expert on on early church studies or patristics, but to my knowledge you don't really have widespread fame of a particular songwriter in the church mm -hmm. until Arius, okay. who was a heretic. He was condemned by the Council of Nicaea, but he used music and catchy little ditties to spread his heresy throughout the churches. Ooh. Um, okay. So take that for what it's worth. I think probably the first kind of famous catchy singer that the church had was the one who was trying to spread heresy i'll let you do with that what you will wow okay um <laughs> i really don't know what to say after that so so uh, yeah so so arius tried to teach that the sun was not eternal that is that yes, the son yes, of god yes, uh -huh. came into existence and he had a hymn that he spread around called there was a time when he was not 
Um, and so, so there you go. That, that would be an example of that. So anyway. I'm sorry, I'm trying to kill this next question, but that's, uh, I would love to hear that song. Just, you know, what do they consider catchy back then, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But how about a pre-Reformation service? Uh, Aside from the Eucharist and such, you know, like, what was the musical content there? Was there a lot more music that came out of the medieval Catholic era? Um, You know, is any of that still around? So we're, we're talking like like uh, medieval period pre pre Reformation. Yes, kind of, yes, kind of the the, yeah. the dark ages and, and <laughs> well, um, that that term will get you in trouble with people. But I know uh, it. I know it. <laughs> um, I don't know what else to call it. So I would say, and again, this is uh, not. I'm not very super strong in this area. But but if I'm if I am thinking correctly, if I'm thinking rightly, I think that you're. Your pre-Reformation service, uh, service of the Mass, would have been characterized by three things, I would imagine: um, the the pipe organ, the mm-hmm. choir, and Latin. Um, oh, right. So you, you would have had the pipe organ, you would have had the choir, or you would have had the the cantor or the chanting, and you it would not be in the heart language of the people. It would have been all in Latin, mm-hmm. um, and and that's like those those are things the Reformation really changed. Not so much the organ, that, but most of the reformers wanted to keep the pipe organ, but many, uh, but but part of the Reformation of worship, uh, actually uh, the um, not so much the Lutheran Reformation, but the the uh, Presbyterian and, and Calvinist Reformation. Certainly, one of the first things to happen to worship was the removal of the choir, uh, the elimination of the choir. And that wasn't because choirs are bad, but the, the idea was that the, the choirs had, had taken over the congregation's responsibility to sing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and essentially, the, the work of singing had been delegated to experts. Um, and so one of the, the great things of the Reformation was that singing was put back into the, the, the mouths of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and into the language they, of the people yeah, as so well. Yes, so they say the, the words of the people where they could sing, you know. Yes, yes, the and, word, yes, words of the people where they, that they could sing in their own language. Well, and this is um, not in my list of questions, but you mentioned the chanting. That's like, what was the purpose of that? Was it was it hypnotic? Was it believed to be? Um, I mean, were they chanting words? I mean, I've heard some that it, it didn't. You know, it's like this. Just uh, I don't know. It's it's it wasn't. Um, words that well, were chanting but just sounds like the sounds yeah to... yeah well yeah if, it, if it's just sounds if there's no intelligible content then that's a problem oh yeah but yeah. with think with things like chanting part of the goal there assuming it's understandable part of the goal of chanting is um because i mean if you, let's say you've got a congregation in perhaps late a late medieval age nobody's literate um, mm-hmm. nobody's bringing their Bibles to church. Nobody's yeah. got a Bible at home that they're reading. And so things like chanting, are, it's helping to commit stuff to memory by putting in, it into a musical setting. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and so that, at least that's the goal. Like if, if we want to put the best spin on it, I'm not like pro chanting or anything, mm-hmm. but, but that was kind of the goal. And so, um, what was really important for the Reformation though, is that the people were singing. Yeah. Um, in Scotland, for example, you even have this tradition develop of a of a caller 
who would read out a psalm line by line. So he would, he would sing a line, he would actually chant a line, and then the congregation would melodically sing that line. And oh, then okay. the caller would, would chant the next line, and then the congregation would sing that next line. Mm-hmm. And that was because, uh, because of illiteracy. People were not, they couldn't read a hymnal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, so this was a way to have the people singing, even if they couldn't read. Well, I, I always wanted to be a Gregorian monk, but I never got the chance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, come on. You're on my podcast. Sure, you got to laugh. Surely, surely you can <laughs> superimpose some kind of... Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> okay, I'll see what I can do. Uh, <laughs> now, That's you've already kind of talked about how... Um, you know, Luther and Calvin and the reformers changed the way that we worship, you know, kind of taking the, uh, the focus off of the choir and the special singers and the professionals and putting it into the congregation. Now, if Luther or Calvin wandered into one of our church services today in America, would they have a heart attack or a stroke first? (laughs) (laughs) That's hard to say, man. I think, um, I think, they would be disturbed if we're talking like your kind of basic big box Walmart uh, church service. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah, kind they of would, the, the pyrotechnics and the... Yeah, they would, I, I think they would be... So, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, which one to do first? I, I think they would be shocked by the lack of scripture. Mm-hmm. And And what I mean by that is, like, I mean, when is the last time you sang a song that was completely rooted in the scripture. And I don't mean, so, so like thy word doesn't count. I know that, I know there's a verse in there, but most of the song is not Bible. Most of the song is Amy Grant. Yeah. 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 And that's fine. I'm not saying that's sinful, but they would say like, where, where are the songs that are say 95% Bible? Yeah. Uh, why are your people not singing the scriptures? Not just the Psalms, but other texts as well. Um, what, why are the sermons, why, why do the sermons start with an idea and then fit scripture into the idea rather mm-hmm. than starting with scripture and saying, repeating what the scripture says? Um, I'm also, uh, you know, you can maybe take this part out if you don't want to uh, get yourself in trouble. <laughs> but, um, well, actually, I, I don't know for sure that I'm thinking of the right person, so I won't drop the name. Okay. But I, I read about a church last week and they've had to cancel their church services during this this time of COVID, um, not because they can't do the distancing. Not you know, there's they have a lot of, and it's a big, big, big church, right? Yeah. Um, not enough people are coming to justify the expense and the amount of staff that it takes to put together this big kind of pyrotechnic, flashy show. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, since believe, not enough people, I believe I saw are, that. Yeah, yeah. So not enough people are coming to make this happen. And that is where uh, the reformers would be scandalized. And they would say, if you cannot do this with simplicity, you ought not be doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. If, if, you're, if, you're, if your church can't roll in the difficult, impoverished, meager times, then it is not a church. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Um, and so the idea being almost like, uh, the, you know, the Apostle Paul, I have, I've learned, I've lived in, in with plenty and I've lived with, with very little and I've learned to be content in every, every season, every time. And, and if, you're, if your church can't say that, so to speak, 
then then that's a it's a real problem. Uh, simplicity in the church service is, I mean, that was one of the, if you could say like top five things about Reformation worship, that's on the top five is it, it has to be done in simplicity. If it, if we overcomplicate it, then we're not, uh, we're, we're not following the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel, I feel like every time that we, we talk, no matter what I ask you, I'm pretty well get an educated answer. Um, so what was John Knox's mother's favorite hymn? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, his eyes on the sparrow, I believe. Oh, wow. All um, right. Well, wasn't yes. expecting um, anything there. But. Would have been the Scottish version. Uh, <laughs> his eye is on the wee thistle. Uh, I think, yeah, I think. I'll have to get back to you on that. I'll have to double check my sources. Okay. All right. <laughs> Google to the rescue. Um all right, now I want to get a little uh, nitpicky, and you know, mm -hmm. um, some some churches lean toward very formal whenever it comes to dress, mm -hmm. and they lean toward the best clothes you have. And then some churches have gone the complete and total opposite direction, where yeah. flip flops and a Hawaiian shirt are what the pastor wear. You know, now mm -hmm. I tend to wear to church what I wear to present a concert, and my thinking on that is if I dress up for one and not for the other, then I'm doing it for man. And, you know, I just tend not to want to let that be the reason mm -hmm. I do anything. And also, I've just always enjoyed ties, and and so I generally wear a tie. But the um, also, the it's biblical. You know, the Bible says bring your ties and offerings. But yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm no legalist on all this, but so, so I believe it's a Christian liberty thing. You know, I don't think I can... Uh, you know, tell you this is right, this is wrong. So, you know, don't start quoting Luther from his Galatians commentary. <laughs> but, so, here's my question. Is mm -hmm. the way we dress a part of worship? I mean, is God mm. more pleased when we give him our best clothes, or is he happier when we're so comfortable in church that we feel no pressure whatsoever? Okay, um, so those are those are two very different questions. I want to try and Okay. Try and get at them one at a time. So don't let me forget the second one. Yeah. But your your first one was um was I think does it matter right? Yeah, it is. Is yeah. how we dress part of worship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would say yes to to the extent that how we dress is just part of life. So I'm thinking of um, let me see here. I'm th I'm thinking of like First Peter three. Uh, do not let your adorning be external, braiding of the hair, putting mm -hmm. on of gold jewelry, clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, uh, yeah. imperishable beauty, gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up, so it, it gives you this concept of adornment. Don't let your adorning be external. So what is that talking about? It's, it's you know, the stuff you wear on your outside is one of the first things people notice about you. That's what you're adorned with. And so mm -hmm. the idea Peter's getting at is don't let that be what is most obvious to people. Um, so it, it's not the braiding of hair that's the problem. It's that you think that the braiding of hair says more about who you are than the condition of your heart. Yeah. And, and you're, 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 quite, you're quite happy to let people draw conclusions about who you are by your outward adornment than by your inward reality. 
Well, it's, um, it's not the way that you braid your hair, what you're wearing. It's going to have people asking you a reason for the hope that is within you, you know. That's and right. That's it's, right. It's your, it's your heart right. and your mannerisms. Yeah. Yeah. And so without going into a whole bit on that, that, that text in First Peter, like we can at least say this, that apparently the way you dress matters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are other texts that, that deal with things like uh, modesty and, and 1 Corinthians 6, your, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore honor God with your body. And so what you do with your body matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's my answer to your first question. It is absolutely beyond question uh, that, that what we do with our bodies matters and how we, uh, how we, we, cover and adorn our bodies matters. And, and so I, and I immediately want to want to make that clear because that's not a given in our present circumstance. Um, like I think in our present circumstances, people might just say, look, what, what I wear doesn't matter. All that matters is my internal like condition. And that's wrong. Um, um, we call that, uh, it, it's a kind of mysticism that says my outsides don't matter. All that matter are my in, insides. And that's absolutely not biblical um, uh, at all. And so, um, and so that, that'd be kind of my first point, that, that while I'm, I'm going to be slower with your second question to prescribe things, we'll get there in a minute. Okay. What, we, what absolutely is not an option for us is to pretend like this doesn't matter. Okay. Mm-hmm. We have to care about it. We have to think about it. Um, and so that's going to be part of my answer to your second question, which is like, if the pastor's wearing sandals and, and shirts up, like is the message that's being communicated is, is the appearance of yourself doesn't matter. That is wrong because it is in that moment, you're still making worship about you. Uh, you're making it about your level of comfort. You're making it about the, your sort of sense of internal peace with your outward appearance um, and things like that. So that's, that's kind of first one. I'll stop there. Do you want to say anything before I try to talk about the second one? No, you're on a roll. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, so then let's get to the, uh, you know, do you have to wear a suit? Let's just put it that way. Do you have to wear a suit? And the answer is no. Um, However, it's, it's, it's a no, but no, you don't have to wear a suit. No, you don't have to wear a tie. Um, but, but what if, what if we also said this, what if we said in prayer, you never have to get on your knees. You can always pray standing up or sitting. You don't have to ever kneel in prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I guess that's true. Um, but again, but why would you kneel in prayer? Well, it's because what you do with your body matters. Your body and soul are tied together. And so there's this sense that if what's most important to you is the the comfort and self-expression of your clothing, um, that is is not helpful. Um, It also comes out of this assumption that like the greatest inhibition to worship is that we take things too seriously. That's very dangerous. (laughs) That's very dangerous. And that, to go back to your earlier question, the reformers would be horrified at a loss of reverence, which we have lost. Now, Mm -hmm. please, please, I'll say to you and your listeners, you did not hear me say that a coat and a tie give you, produce reverence. I did not say that because I do not believe that. But it, it almost seems to me like 
some of the ways we talk about how we dress in church, it's like we're finally free from the chains of reverence. Yes. Like, you know, this is, and, the, this is the New Testament. This is the New Covenant, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, it's, there's no uh, Mount Sinai on fire that we can't approach. It's just like, come as you are. You know, right. I, I, I've, I've heard that attitude very much. Yeah, which I'll, I'll say this, you know, for all of my disagreements and discomforts and, and uh, 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 deep frustrations with Roman Catholicism, if you walk into a Roman Catholic church five minutes before the mass starts, the air is thick. That's how I would describe it. Mm-hmm. The air in the room is heavy. And you have, you immediately, you walk in and there is a sense of, rev- you immediately walk in and you're going, I am not the center of the universe. And we have like Protestantism, modern Protestantism has lost that. Um, And so, and that's a shame. That's a shame. And that again, you can get everybody in the house in a, you know, in suit and tie and fine clothes and all that and, and still fail to produce that. But the, the carelessness about what, how we dress and what we wear is a product of the loss of reverence that I think is not good. All right. Well, I noticed that you've completely avoided the subject by having a black robe that you wear every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says mm-hmm. the bi- uh, that the righteous are clothed in robes. So should we all shift to catch up with your example, Brian? I mean, I... <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, wearing the robe, it's just, uh, that's a, an old, an old symbol of, um, of, of teaching and pastoral work. So I, I tend I to wear the robe if I'm doing the duties of my office, which is teaching or sacraments, but, but yeah, it, it does make things a lot easier. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So it's kind of um, like, you know, you go into a hospital and the doctor's always in a white coat with a stethoscope and all that. That's right. Like, oh, that's yeah, a doctor. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, exactly. Now, let, uh, this is not on my list, but something you said made me wonder. So you, yeah. you have a situation where you have a church where the people are making the statement, it does not matter how I dress, this is who I am, and, and, and it its effect making you the center of worship all over again. Right. So I'm going to kind of turn that on its head, because I mean, I want to uh-huh. know from me, if I do a concert, I mean, I dress, you know, um, you know, with a, with a vest or a tie or a nice button-up shirt, right. you know, I try to look the part kind of like, oh, that, you know, I walk yeah. in the church, oh, that must be the guy that's doing the singing. But... Yeah. If I don't change the way that I dress when I go to worship at our church, honestly, I, there's not a tie inside. I mean, the pastor is not in flip flops, <laughs> but he's in a coat and a and a button up shirt, or or a or at least you know more pulled back than I am. And yep. there's not a tie in the place, but most people are at least dressed, you know, uh, not casually. I'd say that. Uh, sure. Me walking in that way, am I making worship about me since I have not conformed to what they're doing? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. Um, and my answer to that is <laughs> maybe. Um, so I mean, that's, I suppose that's a possibility. If you are, if everyone just to, you know, if, if everyone in the room dresses according to standard A, and you are dressing according to standard B, whatever that is, whatever you want to mm-hmm. put under those columns, it's it's always possible that your aim is to stand out. Um, however, that's that's not the full picture here. The full picture would again to go back to the point that we were talking about earlier, that you cannot escape the reality that the way that you go about adornment, the way you go about 
dressing yourself um, communicates. It's, it's going to communicate something. Now, that communication might not get through clearly. It might be misunderstood or misinterpreted mm-hmm. uh, or misrepresented. That's true. Um, but as far as I can tell from what you've said, like that's your way of saying, I take this seriously. Or it might even be your way of saying, um, you know, I mean, like, let's be honest, that, that wardrobe is consistent with the, the styles of music that you sing. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you can look back at pictures of me as a little kid. That's just, that was me. But what I'm saying is like, uh, I I don't feel like it's, you know, made anybody not come up and speak to me or look, give me a sideways glance at the church. It's just, you know, if I'm just saying, you know, Hey, this is me. And right. You know, I, I I just, I want to tread that line carefully. And so, Mm -hmm. um, just, the way you well, put that, I wanted to be sure, you know, yeah. it's clarifying. Let, yeah, yeah. Let's be fair, though. And I think I, I should have said this earlier. Let, let's be fair. Perhaps it is. Perhaps, you know, somebody might say, look, the reason why you've got churches where people dress more casually is because there was a time when there was a very clear Sunday morning dress code. And if somebody came in off the street not abiding by the dress code, they were they were an outsider. And they were, you know, they were sort of treated uh talked down to and, and okay oh, yeah, like yeah. F- now that's, fair that's enough james two i forget yes what, i mean that's, yes you know do yes. don't do that don't do that <laughs> yes and so so fair enough that's a problem um but in in with with evangelicalism man if there's a if there's a spot of paint missing we bring a sledgehammer for the whole wall um <laughs> it's uh in in evangelical evangelicalism is a long history of very good diagnoses and terrible prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, uh, so, so that's, you know, so that's kind of where I'm on that. So, so yes, the James two thing, it, I, I get it that for many, that's the problem they're trying to sort of fix and, and, um, and, and very understandable. And that's a, yeah. it's a noble intention. Now here's uh here's a question that may have a word in it. You might need to at least clarify for some of the listeners mm-hmm. because back mm-hmm. 10 years ago, I, I didn't know what this, this word was, but um, sure. is worship synergistic? Can, yeah. can we worship without the spirit of God in us? Now I may, I'm when, and understand when I say worship, I know we can throw our hands in the air and sing lyrics yep. off a wall, yep. but does God help us worship him? Is it, is it a, you know, yoking, together yeah yeah that's oh man so so synergism as soon as we uh, i mean basically synergism means cooperation Mm -hmm. uh we we do it's a bit of an oversimplification but we do our bit god does his yes uh and both happen sort of uh, think of melody and harmony type thing Mm -hmm. um i i'm not sure i would put it that way like I, you're, you're the, the question you asked kind of at the tail end there, does God help us worship him? Yes, absolutely. Even so I, I'm not so. And so here's, here's, here's why. If I were to employ the word synergism, uh, I would say, okay, let's talk about the synergism of, of, uh, of the word and the Holy spirit. That that's the synergism of worship that, that God's words work together with God's spirit Mm-hmm. to transform God's people. That would be the synergism. Okay. Um, because worship is, is 
God's call, God's words, and our response. It's God's gifts and, and our, our gratitude. Um, and so, it, and, and so in, in that sense, then, absolutely God helps us worship him because it's by his word and spirit that he softens our hearts to repentance and to faith and to thanksgiving and to all those things. Um, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I would call that synergism though. Um, okay. but that's, yeah, I'd have to think about that a bit more. That's interesting. Um, but I, so I would want to put the emphasis on the synergism of word and spirit. Okay. So yeah. it's fair to say that there can be no legitimate worship apart, apart from the knowledge of God found in his revelation found in the word. So, yes. so it does follow the better we know his word the more it dwells in our hearts and our minds, the more deeply we worship. So is, is you know, the, the pairing of those two, you, you, know, oh, like you, you know, if you don't know about Christ, if you don't know how God has prescribed worship, you know, if you don't know how that, that he saved you, how he saved you, it's like, that's how he enables us to worship. Yeah. There, there is no worship without the word. Okay. There okay. is no worship without the word. And that's, this is not what you asked, but that's why, there's, there's been kind of a movement in the last 30 or 40 years to make everything worship. You know, like if I, if I give to the poor, that's worship. And if I yes. uh, call my friend on the phone and tell them I love them, that's worship. And it's, it's like all of life is worship. And like, I, I, I understand the sentiment there and I appreciate it. I, I do think it is mostly sentiment and sentimentality. Um, I understand what you're going for there. You're, you're trying to say, that all of life is lived out in submission to God. But frankly, we already have a category for the stuff you're trying to, to rename. And that category is good works and, and works of charity and, and works of brotherly love mm -hmm. that are not actually called worship in the scriptures. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm not convinced, it, it's not obvious to me that it's helpful to put everything under the heading of worship. Mm -hmm. um, this is to me that's that's a way of saying that's why it, some like the 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 way this is misused is like that's why it doesn't matter if i uh show up with god's people uh assembled on sunday morning because all of life is worship it's like yeah show me that in the new testament please but <laughs> but there's no there's no worship without without the word that's very um, interesting we need to get you and spurgeon in the same room because i, I remember he had a quote about hmm. you know when the scullery maid does her work well when she takes you know pride in it and she does it as unto the lord you know mm -hmm. it's 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 worship and and i may i may be butchering that quote because i haven't heard right. it in so long but so um, i would i would prefer to say that's how she obeys the command to love her neighbor okay and so, so it's but, good works it's obedience and god is yeah. pleased with it but it's not yeah. it's not the private and corporate worship Categories. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I think. Yeah, I, I think we we ought to keep those those lines a bit clearer than they've they've kind of been blurred over the last uh, few decades. But um, but you said something about um, the, the more the word dwells in you know you you mentioned Colossians three sixteen right mm -hmm. Psalms and hymns yes. and spiritual songs. What does he say right before that? It's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so this mm -hmm. this reality that the word of Christ dwells in us richly uh, is inseparable from our worship. Yeah, when when I when I sign my CDs, that's the, mm -hmm. the passage I, I put. I, I love that. Um, 
Oh, wonderful. Now this I'll have to tell you some stuff about that passage that'll blow your mind sometime. Oh, That's a fun do passage. That. We're already we're already gonna have to cut this short. Oh man. Okay. Right. Uh, we'll make a two-parter. We'll make a two-parter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um this okay, this so this past fourth of July, um somebody sent me a video of Whitney Houston singing the national anthem at a huge okay. football game. It was back in nineteen ninety one, if you want to look it up uh, okay. on, on YouTube. To say it's stellar is to understate. It's it's just jaw dropping, mm. and um, I mean, what a voice, what a presentation, and it it nearly mm. brought me to tears. And this is the Star Spangled sure. Banner, you know. I sure. I think it was probably not just the power of mu- music, but the emotions that I felt when she sang it were compounded because I'm a history buff. I I love history i love american history um mm. and so i know america's warts i mean I, I i do because i know history but i also know the yeah. principles that she was founded on and it was the oddest mix of sad tears for what she once mm. was and for the loss of those principles but also patriotic tears and it's like where i'm going is if someone doesn't know the bible deeply and fully then they may hear a tremendous sermon uh, and may be moved by its presentation, but no mm. emotion in regard to the subject. Mm, so it's like okay. if you know history deeply, you can be moved deeply by history. Sure. And so if you if you have a very shallow, um, you know, just very simplistic grasp of the gospel, but don't understand the doctrines of justification and the doctrines of grace and and you know the overarching theme of scripture then it's like yeah somebody can preach philippians chapter two and you'll be like oh yeah yeah i see that yeah jesus came died served yeah that's great Mm -hmm. and so um i guess to be honest i've been in, in some extremely good rock solid biblical church services and everything was excellent down to the minutia but to me it was unnerving to the extreme that you know the, the soloist sang superbly and the music was epic and wonderful and, and i mean just everything was down to a t but the only reaction from the audience was an occasional chuckle at the wit of the pastor there was no uh-huh. allowance for applause there was no mm. uh outward expression of the worship so i'm just it, to me and, and i'm not saying it's wrong i'm saying i, I just don't understand the disconnect between yeah. having a great solid church, a great solid sermon, and the disconnect from no emotion whatsoever. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Um, so when when that happens, I want, yeah, I want to try and be careful here. The way I would put it is, if if you're in that kind of situation where the, the, what we might call the content of the service is glorious. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah. The content of the service is glorious. Uh, and no, no pyrotechnics, no blaring right. pan, not that kind no, of I'm, glorious, but... Right, you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm, as, I'm assuming that. Bling, I'm know? assuming that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that. Yeah. We'll, we'll go ahead and, and just, just in a judgment for, of charity. Yeah, clarifying for the yeah. listeners. <laughs> sure. I would say sometimes that can mean something. <laughs> and sometimes it might not mean anything so there are there are definitely what i would call prescriptive reactions in the bible you've got commands to to rejoice to shout to sing to mm-hmm. weep to lament 
Um, and so, so some of this can be cultural. Um, it's, it's this odd cultural split that we've, we might have invented to say uh, that the, the, the sports, the sporting kind of, kind of stadium and the sports games, that's, that's where the, the outbursts like that are, are appropriate, mm-hmm. but yeah. in, in church, not so much. Um, now, I, I, I want to be careful here because, like, so I want to say that, that, that the right exaltation of Jesus and the right, like, uh, glorifying God should, well, I mean, what's the word for glorifying God? It's, it's for, for glorifying, it's doxology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so theology should always lead to doxology. Um, uh, what we what we teach and believe should always lead us to into into worship into a response of some kind, um, and and so I don't it's it's hard because I I don't want to make too many judgments here because so on one end you have um, maybe kind of a kind of a the congregation of the of the cold fish, um, and and like there's there's no there's no response because there's no um, um, glad, joyful reception in the heart. That's possible. On the other side, you can have a church, you can have a church service where the gospel is faithfully preached. You know, the, the, the Lord's Supper is faithfully administered. Uh, the name of Jesus is lifted up and exalted. But because you didn't make somebody feel a certain way, they walk out of the service going, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't present there. Um, and I would say, no, the Holy Spirit is present wherever the Lord's word is faithfully preached, wherever Jesus's uh, sacraments, Jesus's gifts are given out to his people and, and received by thankful hearts. Just because the, the music or the mood or the moment didn't make you feel a certain way, that's on you. Um, oh, oh, and I, I totally agree with that. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is like when it's, you know, when I'm feeling the spirit inside so strongly, like, yes, that is so true. That is so wonderful. And, and I want to say, amen. I want to respond to what was just said and sung by the clapping of hands or, or something, but to do it would have been absolutely disruptive because no one else in, in hundreds of people was doing it. And And I suppose I would say uh, 90% of the time I would be critical of that. So I, I would tilt toward like ninety percent of the time. That's probably not amen? a good thing. No, 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 no. Oh, oh okay. The, okay. The, <laughs> the, the, sorry, the the mood in the room that that pushes you in that direction. I'd say ninety percent of the time, that's probably not a good thing. Maybe ten percent, it's perfectly innocent. Uh, just that's kind of the 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 season that that church is in, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know, and 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 that's okay. I want to be careful about making a judgment here. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking right now, Miles, of, of uh, two things. One thing is 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says everything must be done in a fitting and orderly way. Yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but his point there is that everything has to be done to serve your neighbor. And so I'm very much opposed to a lot of stuff kind of in, in, in our day, in our culture concerning worship that basically says like, I should be able to shout and, and make a scene in a worship service and, and do laps around the sanctuary. And if you're holy enough, that's not going to bother you. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I, that's an absolute violation of 1 Corinthians 14 because it's like this is not about you and about your self-expression. 
-hmm. And that also ties into the thing about, you know, what kind of clothes do we wear to worship? Well, are, are you asking the question because you believe the worship service is most fundamentally about comfort and self-expression? Um, that's a problem, right? Mm -hmm. However, on the other side of things, when you were, um, when you married Martha, nobody had to twist your arm to make those vows, right? So, so the, the love in your heart naturally wanted to, to make and declare promises to her, yeah? yeah? Nobody had to sort of compel you to do that, but, but that was the very natural response that flowed out of your love and joy that the Lord had given this woman to you. Um, and so, so, so it is, so it, so it ought to be with our worship, um, to, to, to a real extent. Oh yeah. And I think that's, that's really well put because I mean, it was, it's like, I'd never felt that for anybody else. And, mm. and I never wanted to say to her and do for her the things that, you know, for anybody else that, that I, I felt automatically driven to say to her. And mm. so it's like when you're in that church service, you know, it's like I understand that, you know, marriages are different and some people express their love for each other very differently in the five love languages and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm not I'm not against people worshiping differently. That is not yeah. my point at all. It's just whenever it is this gravitas in the room that if anyone breaks ranks, um, you know, it, it's out of it's out of order. And um, I, I do wonder and I hadn't put this together, but I wonder if in a church like that where it is solid and, and you know, and you just, it, it is something that makes a Bible loving Christian want to rejoice. I mm -hmm. wonder if it's um, a kickback against what some people call charismania, you know, the, um, you know, any, any, uh, you know, shouting or amens or whatever, you know, afraid it's going to, you know, avalanche, you know, on you or something, <laughs> you right. know, any, uh, any outward expression is should be in the heart. And I think that I think that's uh, I think that may be part of it with with some churches that have have yeah. come out from that, and and people who have come out from that. So, yeah, it's it's just, it's a very interesting topic. It's a touchy topic, and that's why I saved mm -hmm. it for you. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eugene Peterson uh, was someone that I found here recently through a couple of mutual friends. Um, he has a quote. He said, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Would you agree or disagree with that? I'd absolutely agree with that. Yeah, I thought and that in, was a in, great quote. In fact, the the reverse of it, what, what he said, it is not, the, the it is not. Um, mm -hmm. um, so read, read that again. Read that again. I want to get that language right. Read yeah. that again, please. Wor worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. So the idea that, that those would say the opposite, the idea that, that feelings come first and actions come second is why you have seen over the last few decades, the death of liturgy in our churches. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because liturgy gives words to people to confess and since, since the modern worship service is all about not only my feelings, but my, uh, what's the word, my reactions, mm -hmm. my uh, replies, you might say, um, um, 
I'm not, I'm, I'm still searching for the right word, but I think you, you get what I'm saying. Yes. If, if worship is all about response, there we go. My, if worship is all about my response, then, then don't give me, don't tell me how to respond. Um, you know, uh, feel, feels makes reels. Uh, and if, if that's, if that's the approach, that's why you see the death of liturgy. And here's a, here's a big one for you. Historically, churches have practiced uh, weekly communion, right? I mean, historically, and I think you can get from Acts that communion was their regular practice. The Lord's Supper was their regular practice when they gathered together. What modern uh, evangelical Protestantism has done is it has made the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper less often. Well, if you pull something like that out of a worship service, you now have this gap. You now have this space. So what do you fill it with? And the answer is you fill it with more music more singing, mm -hmm. more experiential stuff. And so is it any question, is there any question about why people get so uptight about the music, why we've had these worship wars? It's because you took away their sacrament and you replaced it with more singing. Of course they're gonna think that their singing is the highest and holiest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of how I, um, that's, that's my understanding of that. I, I think that's why thinking I have to feel first and then react. That's the same kind of thinking behind the modern misunderstanding of love. That, that love is, is mainly an emotion that I can't control. It's why we use language like falling in love. So it's a, a pit that you accidentally fall into. <laughs> Uh, or madly in love, so you're you're in, not in control of your mental faculties. Um, love is something that happens to you rather than something that you give to someone else by intention and action. Exactly, and it's like it, it, it the um, the example of the of falling in love breaks down whenever all of a sudden you know anti gravity you fall out of love. You know it is it you know love is a choice, and yeah, um, you know right. at least the. The, the biblical sense of love. Um, right. The Christ-like sense of love, right? What is, what is love? It's, it's, um, it's, it's what we just talked about in Philippians too. It's, it's, um, you know, not, uh, not exalting his own desires, not thinking um, what, what he had to be, to be exploited, but rather uh, he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant. And, and so like God made himself killable. Um, yeah. which is, which is that, that's, that's how God loves us is by making this choice to, to, to be man, to be inconvenienced is a weak way to put it, to be gloriously inconvenienced, um, and, and ultimately to be put to death. Uh, this is how, this is how the Lord Jesus loves his people. Um, so it's not just something that sort of just happens. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I know being moved emotionally, we've already kind of established this, but yep. But being moved emotionally does not mean that you're being changed spiritually. Oh, yes, but that's right. Is it possible to be changed spiritually without being moved emotionally? Hmm. I, I guess I would say probably not. Maybe that's not a strong enough answer for some people. <laughs> but I, I would say probably not. So, like, emotions aren't bad. They're just not trustworthy. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love yeah. I love Peter's passage, and I, I use I've used this in concert on and off for years about yeah. you know he's talking about the transfiguration he's like we saw it with our own eyes we mm, were there yes. we heard the voice yes. from heaven yes. you know jesus you know metamorphosed in front of us his glory yes. revealed 
And then we came down the mountain to the real world, and that's not what we had to live on. Yeah. And he said, but we have something more sure. What's more oh. in what's more sure than, you know, second coming glory, you know, a, a peak of, of the, the incarnate Christ, you know, um, the scriptures. <laughs> right. What's more right. Sure? We, we want God to pick us up. He wants to raise us up for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's not a temporary pick me up. It's a, it's a sustaining, enduring dependence on his promises, his law and gospel, his words, which yeah. is what we receive in worship. All right. Well, as we kind of get to the end of this, I want to, I want to give you this question. I want you to spend some, some time on this one as long as you mm-hmm. need. I know we've been kind of hurrying, but, uh, hymns are, that, that have lasted through centuries. I mean, they've lasted for a reason. They're deep, they're thoughtful, they're just wonderful. Um, and then other Christian songs are often repetitive and just seem to go on forever. Why are those songs not called hers? <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> oh, my word, Miles. Um pass <laughs> <laughs> i thought that up just for you brother I tell you what. thank you uh, <laughs> well in closing um i found a quote from a man that i'd never heard of before uh but it was one of those that i one of those quotes that i had to read two or three times before it really hit mm. me mm. uh the the man who said it was alexander mclaren fruitful and acceptable worship begins before it begins. Hmm. I'll, and I'm going to say that again because I need to hear it again. Fruitful mm-hmm. and acceptable worship begins before it begins. Now, I know you're not an Alexander, you, you may not know Alexander McClare and, and probably didn't know him since he died in 1910, but uh, could, could you expound on that as we wrap this up? Do you find that to be true? And how would you, how would you explain that? When you when you read that, I was reminded of a uh, of a tradition in Scottish Presbyterianism that whenever whenever there was a Communion Sunday that was coming, uh, for every Communion Sunday right beforehand, there was a Communion Saturday night preparation service, mm. uh, and so there there really there was this intentionality around the Lord's Supper. Uh, that uh, a sense in which they said we we need to prepare ourselves, lest we lest we come to this um, uh, carelessly, uh, with irreverent hearts. Oh yeah, um, Exa- with, examine your heart. You know, see if yes. there's any hidden sin or yes. sin. And so one one way that we kind of do, and it's it's a very 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 small way. I'm talking like um, uh, I think this is. I think the what what that quote's getting at I won't dance around what that quote's getting at is the idea of of uh, of what happens before worship is being part of worship the idea of preparation and preparing your heart so that is that is an importance the size of an ocean wave and what I'm about to say something that we do here at Grace is um, you know a, a teaspoon of ocean water <laughs> so it's it's not the same thing but but the first thing that we do in our service is we have a, a instrumental prelude. 
And I'm very explicit about the purpose for that. I say, this is to prepare your heart. Take a moment and and pray, take a moment and reflect on your sin in the last week and your need for God and your need for grace and your need for forgiveness mm-hmm. uh, before we enter into worship. And so I'm, I'm making the assumption, uh, two things. One, you're coming in bearing some kind of load that makes it hard to worship. Two, the Lord is good to his people and he's going to do this miracle in your heart that is going to allow you to bring that stuff to him, not to leave it at the door, but to bring it to him um, and, and submit it to him and give it to him and worship him uh, and, and, um, with, you know, with, with all your heart insofar as you can, insofar as you can do that. Um, but but to, to just walk in cold, or, or I know, I know sometimes I've heard some people that, you know, they come into to the service late intentionally because they don't like the music, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, um, so we're going to skip the music. Just the, what you are doing in that, if you do something like that, if you, if you intentionally come in late to skip the music is, I almost want to say you're daring God. You're saying, you're saying, I, I don't actually believe that my heart is that hard. I don't actually believe that my heart needs help to worship. Um, I, I believe that I'm better than everyone else in this room because my heart doesn't need to be softened and prepared before I, before I hear the word. Mm. Um, I don't need to be with God's people uh, for those things. And so that's, that's, uh, and so that's I, I, I like that quote very much. That's, that's very helpful. And in, indeed, uh, what we do before we walk in matters. Uh, well, because, I- man, because you know, you, you've, I mean, you know, your enemy is at work when you wake up on Sunday morning. Oh man. <laughs> in a yeah, hundred different ways, brother. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you get behind a slow driver to church and you know, you mm, uh, yeah. just totally ruin everything that you may have done that morning in prayer <laughs> yeah. or family devotions, yes. you know, uh, yes. you have, you know, a child you love very much around the throat. We're going to celebrate the love of Jesus. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, he could have just said worship begins before it begins, but he said fruitful and acceptable. And mm. I think, um, I think, you know, there, it, it's kind of sad that there are a few worship services in my life <laughs> that I remember very explicitly. I remember details. I remember the sermon because you know, it was one of those that it was, it was so fruitful. It just, mm. my, my brain lit up with, wow, I've never got that before. I've never understood that before. And, you know, a time of worship where I was singing and I, and, and it connected a thought with, you know, or, or, or scripture with what's being sung right now. And it, and it just mm. it happened in my heart, you know, like gasoline on a, on a match. And, right. um, you know, and it's it's sad that there's so few of those sometimes in our Christian experience. But it, uh, it it's good to be able to look back to those, and it's and it's good to um, it's good to know that hey, sometimes you're there uh, to be with God's people, and you're there for them. It's not necessarily this service may not it is for you, but you may not get everything your heart ever dreamed of this service. You know, right. it's, it's, you're not the center of it. 
and maybe you're there to love someone else and encourage someone else. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly in the, in the shadow of COVID-19, we understand that the, the gathering of the saints is a precious thing that we miss very, very much. Amen. And, um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not about us. It's not about us. That's right. That's right. Um, well, I end all of these uh, all of these podcasts with uh, some lightning round questions, and so let's jump into that before we close out. It's just a Fantastic. little glimpse into who you are, and I one thing I want to foster in these conversations is to point um, point the listeners in some different directions, maybe to some different people that they don't know. But uh, who's your favorite gospel artist? Uh is George Friedrich Handel a, uh, a gospel artist? Does, I believe so. I believe so. Handel's he, Messiah? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he passed away a while ago, but yeah. He, uh, a while ago. Uh, I would say, yeah, I mean, I love I love Handel's Messiah. I, I say Handel's Messiah is the best sermon ever written because um, it's scripture texts mm-hmm. that are exposited by the music. Um, but, you know, uh, to what I think you're asking, my answer would probably be Rich Mullins. Ah, or okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, or some of the stuff that's been coming out of uh, Indelible Grace, which is a group that takes uh, old hymns that nobody sings anymore. They, they, you know, dig up these old hymns and they set them to new music. Mm-hmm. Um, highly I'm, recommend. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar and, uh, and not as mm. familiar as I want to be. I need to, to, to look at some more of their stuff. But yeah, heard uh, Handel got a very famous standing ovation too, if I remember right. Um, <laughs> so uh, who's your favorite secular artist? Like if you, you know, just driving down the road one listens to yeah so that would be i i i'm um i'm gonna cheat that would be probably a, a three-way tie um, that's all right all right all we're right, gracious fine. here yeah thank you uh between the eagles and uh the dave matthews band uh, which, by the way, those two artists uh, have, have the, uh, I think it's the most number one albums, you know, the albums that went number one in a row in America. So there you go. Wow. Um, that, that, that currently, that record's currently held uh, a tie between the Dave Matthews Band and the Eagles. And then the third one in the three-way tie would be Billy Joel. Um, uh, I think I could listen to Billy Joel all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know uh, Tolkien, his, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, his favorite group was the Eagles. He was always excited when they were coming. So. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> the Eagles are coming. All right. You know, my parents went to see the Eagles. I think it was right before Glenn Fry passed away. They mm-hmm. went to an Eagles concert, I mean, a, a few months before Glenn Fry passed away. I still have not forgiven them for not, uh, <laughs> not getting me a ticket and bringing me to that concert. So pray for us. We're still working through that. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll do you one better. You can come to mine, and I'll sign a CD for you. So uh, <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll try to do it before I pass away. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All sounds right. all right. <laughs> well, favorite gospel song, if you had to choose one. That's an easy one. That is the Prodigal Son Suite by Keith Green. Um, which, if your listeners have never heard it, uh, it is a glorious, like twelve, thirteen, fourteen minute ballad. Uh, describing the the story of the prodigal son it's one of the few like i think really really good pieces of music mm-hmm. that i can play most most of it on the piano uh miles i think someday i i should play that on the piano and and you should sing it that's what i think Ooh. um that's a little little dream that i'll hold on to 
Hey, I've, uh, I've had people tell me that, you know, my song, He Is, it's like seven and a half minutes long with a recitation and everything. And, you know, they're talking, wow, well, that's such a long song. But yeah, I've added that to my repertoire and really, really dropped their jaw. Prodigal um, Son Sweet, man. <laughs> All right, favorite, uh, favorite secular song? Uh, um, um, probably, I have to say, favorite secular song today. Uh, probably Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel. Ah. Um, also kind of a long ballad so i'm beginning to see a pattern (laughs) most influential preacher um most influential preacher is somebody that uh you and your listeners have never heard of a a guy named mike sherritt uh, who was my pastor and my mentor when i was in college he taught me how to preach uh he taught me how to love the gospel Mm -hmm. he taught me uh and he you know uh, humanly speaking, he made me a Presbyterian. Um, so that was in my Baptist days when I was visiting uh, Mike Sherritt and, and his uh, Presbyterian church plant in Lynchburg, Virginia. And um, and uh, so so Mike Sherritt. Uh, now he's a um, kind of a, a bit of a traveling preacher. You can you can Google him, Michael Sherritt, uh, S H A R R E T T. Wonderful, wonderful preacher, wonderful friend, wonderful mentor. Um, influential preacher that people have heard of would be probably John Piper. John Piper made me want to preach. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I listened to his sermons, I said, I, I want to be a preacher. And so, uh, yes, the, uh, the uh, yeah. church father of hyphenated words. I love it. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And, uh, and a hat tip to Timothy Keller as well. Um, yeah. who, uh, yeah, you know, if you don't know who Timothy Keller is, come on now. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I do. I do um album recommendation album recommendation um man you know i mean honestly it's been so long since i listened to an album from start to finish i know i hate streaming Um, i really do yeah it, it just it kind of uh but i but i suppose lately it has been um I actually don't know the name of it, but it but it's Indelible Grace, and it's their live concert at the Ryman Auditorium. Oh, mm-hmm. um, so so the Indelible Grace live in concert at, at the Ryman in Nashville, and uh, that's kind of been that's kind of been one that I've I've really enjoyed and would would highly recommend. After, of course, you know, uh, Miles Pike albums. Other than those, oh yeah yeah, uh, I forgot about yeah, those. yeah 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 man. Um, other uh-huh. than those. <laughs> um, Best place you've ever eaten? Best place of, oh man, um, that's easy. It's just going to make me sound so like posh and nose in the air. <laughs> and that is, um, uh, there were a couple of different ones, but but the steakhouses in Florence, Italy um, were hands down the best places I've ever eaten. <laughs> All right, I'll put that on my bucket list. So Yeah, steakhouses in Florence, man. And um, book recommendation, and I'm going to put a put a caveat here. Book recommendation in regard to mu- music slash worship. Oh, in regard to music slash worship, um, I would say Brian Chapel's Christ Centered Worship uh-huh. um, okay. has been one that's been very helpful for me, and that's really like. I almost would say, don't read that unless you have some kind of authority to plan worship services. 
Because after you read it, it's going to poison your own appreciation for the worship <laughs> services in your church. And if you don't have a hand in planning them, it's going to drive you nuts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it really is. And that's what the book is about. It's kind of a help to, to uh, pastors and to, to worship leaders mm-hmm. to help them plan services that are gospel-centered. And by that, I mean they start in the garden and they end in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and, um, and so, uh, so that's, that's an incredibly helpful book. Um, it also gives you some history of worship. Some of the stuff we talked about, uh, history mm-hmm. of worship through the centuries, sample liturgies from different centuries and stuff like that. Also, I would want to throw in, hang on, hang on. I've got it on my shelf here. Let me see. It's called A Metrical Psalter, The Book of Psalms Set to Meter for Singing by Julie and Timothy Tennant, T-E-N-N-E-N-T, Tennant. Uh-huh. Um, and what that is, they, they take these metrical arrangements of, of psalms, all 150 psalms, wow. uh, they, they set them to meters and they make them rhyme. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, they give you a popular hymn tune that, that fits. And so they're like, you can sing this to be thou my vision. No way. Yeah, man, it's good stuff. Um, and um and and beautifully beautifully set beautifully written um and so you just you can flip to a psalm and it says use the tune from this hymn to sing this one and mm-hmm. and off you go uh, uh, okay this is why i ask you people these questions because that's that's <laughs> that's pure gold um yeah. okay book recommendation any genre book recommendation any genre would be the way of the dragon and the way of the lamb by um, oh my gosh, by Jamie something or other, and and uh, and and Lee Strobel's son. It's so terrible. I can't remember the names of the authors. But uh, Way of the Dragon and Way of the Lamb basically says basically the the thesis of the book is that the modern church growth movement and and what uh, how most pastors lead is is by power, and that is they mm-hmm. they want to they want to be bigger, more numbers, but not just numbers and size but but influence um, and um, um, and ambition and and things are bigger and bigger and more exciting and and the the goal of this book is just to say. That is, there is a way from below and there is a way from above. There is, there is a cross-centered road that does not look glorious. And the problem is that most of our church growth strategies, we want to look glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and rather, we serve a Savior whose greatest glory was a naked dead man on a cross, right? Yep. Um, and so, that, and, and that is the high point, right, of, of the glory of Jesus's ministry, and it's it's that it's that way of the cross, walking in the way of of the cross that never looks glorious to the world's eyes. Um, so, way of the dragon, way of the lamb. Um, if you if you Google that, you'll find it. I would, I would that book has uh, shaped a lot of my uh, my ministry. Well, that uh, sounds like a great book, but you're a pastor and you didn't say the Bible, so I really don't know how we can believe anything else that you have said previously. So, uh... Uh, I've been had. I've been had. <laughs> All right, two more. Favorite podcast yep. host? Is that a trick question? Uh, <laughs> um, I've enjoyed this one very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, that that was that was loaded. That was loaded. Um, I would say so. I listen to a podcast that again, I think a lot of people haven't heard of, and I don't mean to say that like a hipster, but they're just um, it's it's 
uh, it's two Lutheran pastors, and what they do is they they kind of do a little a little game show Bible trivia thing, but but it's just an excuse to talk about the scriptures. Um, and so they'll they'll kind of do this game show where it's like I'm going to throw a verse at you. Can you tell me you know what book it's from and and this sort of thing? And that's one of the games they play. But then they'll spend the next 20 minutes talking about that verse and unpacking it and looking at law and gospel. Mm -hmm. They also do a thing, Miles, that you would love that they call the praise song cruncher, where they they take a praise song and they measure it according to a series of questions um, uh, and and see how it stacks up. Uh, What's Uh, it called? What's it called? Uh, so the the name of the podcast is Table Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hosted by uh, Brian Wolfmuller and Evan Gigline, two Lutheran pastors. So I don't agree with these guys on everything, especially when they take pot shots at Calvinists and Presbyterians, which they sometimes <laughs> do. Uh, and uh, they they like to say that uh, Calvinists and Presbyterians uh, love to fight and they love the abuse. So they're happy to <laughs> to, to, to dole it out. <laughs> So aside from their cheap shots at my at, at me and my brethren, I really enjoy a lot of their stuff. Um, it's All very right. good. And last but not least, you're ruler of the earth. What's your first order? Um, more more cities made walkable. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. But I, I live in a city where, you know, you, you'd think that it's against the religion of our city council to build sidewalks. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's just, you know, if you, if you don't, and that, this is true of a lot of American cities, and I found that it was less true when I was in Scotland. But, if, but in America, like, if you don't own a car, you really can't get around. Yeah, yeah, um, I've seen those, and, uh, those towns. You're and, kind of walking in a ditch. Yeah. Oh, oh, to have more walkable cities. I know that's kind of weird and random, but honestly, that's what I would do. And uh, I, I wish I, I tell if I ever have chances to speak to like city council or people running for mayor, I'm like, you have my vote. If you just build a sidewalk on Jackson Street, it's one of the main <laughs> streets in our city and haven't haven't gotten my sidewalk yet. But uh, well, you know, well, we can wait patiently. Hey, I, I like your answer. Simple man with, with simple, uh, simple wishes. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, always enjoy talking with you, whether it be about uh, deep things or just funny things. And uh, so glad the Lord brought you in our life. And I know that uh, the listeners are glad as well. If you're ever in Alexandria on a on a Sunday morning and need a place to go, Alexandria, Louisiana. Yes, Alexandria, Louisiana. Louisiana. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and need a place to go, stop by Grace Presbyterian and give Brian a hug for me. Thank you so much, brother. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Miles. It's been a real joy to be on here with you. I really appreciate the invitation. I've really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this time that we spent together. I know that I have, and I pray that it has made you more appreciate the forms and functions of worship and the gifted people who help facilitate it. Continue the conversation by emailing any questions or suggestions you may have through my website at www.milespipemusic.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-P-I-K-E music.com. Support this endeavor by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you want to go the extra mile, then I would greatly appreciate it if you purchase some digital downloads or hard copies of my music through the website and patronize our guest in any way that you can. 
Websites and details to that end will be in the show notes. This program plans to release every other week, so keep your eye out for the next edition of the Miles Pike Podcast. Till next time, worship wisely.